to the University of Calgary's DCNS podcast series, bringing the clinical neurosciences to primary care. My name is Tyson Brust, a senior neurology resident at the University of Calgary, and your host for today's podcast. Show notes, including disclosures and references, can be found on our website, www.dcnspodcast.com. In the previous podcast, we discussed the general approach to headache, red flags, and clues to help distinguish primary from secondary headaches. Because migraine is such a common neurological disorder affecting over 4 million Canadians and resulting in significant social and economic impact, we will discuss acute and chronic migraine in some detail over the course of a four-part series. Today, we will begin by discussing the diagnostic criteria for migraine, the general principles of acute migraine management, and specific therapies for acute migraine. In the next podcast, we will discuss migraine prophylaxis. With us again today is Dr. Werner Becker, Professor of Neurology at the University of Calgary and Headache Specialist. He is also the senior author of the Canadian Headache Society Guidelines for Acute Migraine Treatment and for Prophylactic Treatment. To view this publication, please go to www.headachenetwork.ca and click on the Publications tab. So thank you again, Dr. Becker, for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Tyson. I'm looking forward to hearing your case. So let's begin by, uh, by presenting this case, and then I'll ask for uh, your input after. So a previously healthy 31-year-old woman presents to your office with a two-year history of what she calls migraines for the past two years. She now has had an unrelenting headache that's similar to her previous headaches for the past three days. She describes her headaches as unilateral, right-sided throbbing pain with photophobia, phonophobia, nausea, and vomiting. She's been having approximately one event per week, typically lasting 12 to 24 hours. She has had no associated aura or neurologic symptoms. Her headache is aggravated by activity and she has had to miss five days of work over the past month. She went to a walk-in clinic two weeks ago and was given a prescription for naproxen and procloperazine for acute therapy of her headache. This has not been effective, uh, unfortunately. Three days prior to seeing you, she developed a headache with the same features except that now it has persisted for three days and it has gradually increased in severity from 7 out of 10 when it first came on to 10 out of 10 today at her visit. She is obviously in discomfort in your office. She is not currently taking any medications other than the naproxen and procloperazine. Her screening neurological exam is normal. So Dr. Becker, how would you, how would you approach this patient? Well, first of all, one has to make a diagnosis. And the key question there is whether uh, this attack is similar to her previous headache attacks or whether it's something different. There are some differences, obviously. Uh, this one seems to be longer, uh, of longer duration, and it's perhaps more severe. But is the attack basically similar, and did it begin in the same way? The patient is uh, usually the best judge of that. So the basic question is, uh, does she have migraine? And this does depend in part upon her past history. It's important to, uh, to think of the red flags and to look for them 
at, at this time, the patient doesn't seem to have any red flags and that her uh, neuro examination is normal. And that's a very important uh, consideration. These patients do uh, require a careful examination when they're in this situation. Now, with regard to whether she has migraine, uh, the, the diagnostic criteria, which are the gold standard currently, are those of the International Headache Society, which has uh, recently published an updated third edition of their diagnostic criteria. And those are relatively straightforward. Uh, first of all, uh, the patient uh, needs to have had about five attacks of migraine if you're, going to if you're going to diagnose migraine without aura. And our patient certainly has had that many attacks by history. Uh, if the patient hasn't had five attacks, then you can diagnose probable migraine with aura, but uh, you can't make a definitive diagnosis of migraine. Uh, these attacks should last between four and 72, and 72 hours, uh, unsu unsuccessfully treated or untreated. And our patient seems to qualify for that. Then the patient has to have uh, two of four pain criteria. Now these four criteria are unilateral location, uh, pulsating quality, uh, moderate or severe uh, pain intensity, and uh, during the attacks, aggravation uh, of pain by activity, uh, or uh, the, the attacks may cause avoidance of physical activity. An example I often use is uh, climbing stairs when I ask patients about this. Now the patients only have to have two of those four criteria, and uh, she obviously has more than that. She has throbbing pain, and it seems to be quite severe by history because she's missing work. In addition, her headache attacks are unilateral. An important point here is that attacks can be bilateral and still meet these diagnostic criteria because you don't have to have all four. And finally, there are the associated symptom criteria. That is, patients uh, must have one of nausea and or vomiting or photo and phonophobia. Once again, I think our patient has both of those. An important point is that patients do not have to have nausea uh, for you to diagnose migraine, the photophobia and phonophobia are enough. Now the final caveat is that the patient shouldn't, uh, should not have a headache attributed to some other disorder, and that of course refers to the red flags, and you need to depend upon your uh, clinical examination and judgment to make a determination of that. Now in terms of diagnosing her more specifically, the, the question is does she have status migranosis? Uh, those diagnostic criteria are also in the International Headache Society classification. And to diagnose static status migranosis, a patient should have had the headache for at least 72 hours. The attack should be uh, similar to previous attacks, except for uh, duration and perhaps intensity. And finally, the, the current attack should be, should be relatively severe. Uh, once again, you have to think about other disorders which may underlie this, this headache attack, but uh, uh, with status migranosis, you've decided that it's not due to something else. And the red flags, once again, come in handy in making that decision. Uh, perhaps it's worth mentioning that uh, a minority of migraine patients, perhaps 30% uh, will have an aura with some other headache attacks, and there are diagnostic criteria for those as well in the classification I mentioned. Uh, most physicians are fairly familiar with migraine auras and that they're generally uh, fairly short, under an hour, and often under 30 minutes. Uh, there are focal neurological signs, usually visual, although they may involve some somatosensory symptoms as well, and some degree of speech disturbance. If, if the patient does have an aura with some of their attacks, that's usually a, a helpful giveaway that, in fact, they do have migraine. So, uh, Dr. Becker, uh, do you think this patient, uh, given this history, would require imaging, urgent imaging at this point? Um, what, would you, what would be the next step uh, 
in managing her, given that she's presented to you in an office? I think at this point, given her two-year headache history, Tyson, uh, and her normal neurological examination, that uh, you could go ahead and treat her, and she doesn't require neuroimaging at this time. Okay, thank you. So the patient uh, was referred to the emergency department for treatment of her status micronosis. She was started on intravenous fluids, prochlorperazine, 10 milligrams, and dihydroergotamine, 1 milligram, were administered intravenously. After 30 minutes, she had no improvement in her headache. Because of the refractory nature of her status micronosis, add-on therapy consisting of cateralac 30 milligrams and metoclopramide 20 milligrams were also administered intravenously at that time. Over the next hour, her headache improved from 10 out of 10 to 4 out of 10, and she was discharged home from the emergency department. This is an example of a relative refractory case of status micronosis requiring treatment in the emergency department. So Dr. Becker, can you please discuss the general principles of acute migraine management that might have presented, prevented this situation in the first place? Patients like this need a comprehensive treatment plan for their migraine. And this uh, does take time, both on the health provider's part and also on the patient's part, to, uh, to learn the necessary knowledge and skills that are required for her to effectively self-manage her migraines. The, uh, the approach to migraine really involves uh, four areas, uh, the first two of which overlap somewhat. Uh, the first area is, is lifestyle uh, management. Uh, the second is trigger management. The third is acute medication therapy for individual attacks, and the fourth is uh, prophylactic or preventative therapy if necessary. Now, with regard to uh, lifestyle management, it's uh, quite amazing how uh, migraine patients will tend to neglect this at times because they want to be like everybody else. But it is very important for uh, patients with migraine to uh, not skip meals, uh, to get regular and sufficient sleep, they need to be careful with uh, stress management and avoid a stressful lifestyle. They also need to watch their caffeine consumption because uh, excessive caffeine can exacerbate migraine. And at the same time, if they ever develop caffeine withdrawal because they're taking a lot of caffeine and then have a break in their caffeine consumption, that can trigger individual attacks as well. It's important to discuss this with patients, and patients will often point out that having a strong cup of coffee may actually relieve a migraine attack if it's taken early in the attack, and that is true. Uh, in other words, caffeine is, uh, is one uh, potential acute treatment for migraine that was widely used before we had our current medications that are available to us. Um, but in the same way that analgesics taken too often can give you medication overuse headache, I suspect that caffeine taken excessively can also give you medication overuse headache, although that hasn't been proven as definitively as we would like. Uh, finally, patients need to uh, get into a regular exercise program because uh, it's been shown fairly convincingly now that regular aerobic exercise uh, does provide some protection against migraine attacks uh, over the long term. Exercise can be a migraine trigger, uh, but uh, patients need to be careful on how they become conditioned. But once they're conditioned, uh, exercise has some protective effect uh, over the over long time periods. And finally, it does seem like obesity also uh, makes migraine worse if the patient has a migraine tendency. So maintenance of a normal body weight is also helpful. In terms of uh, getting into acute migraine therapy, uh, it's important that uh, patients take their acute medication for their attack early if they can, because essentially all acute migraine medications work better if they're taken early in the attack. 
At the same time, patients need to avoid medication overuse, and for most medications, like tryptans and uh, combination analgesics, including those with codeine, uh, taking medication on 10 days a month or more uh, puts patients at risk for more and more frequent headache attacks and medication overuse headache. Even uh, simple non like ibuprofen or naproxen can likely also produce medication overuse headache, as can acetaminophen, although with those, uh, patients need to exceed uh, 15 days a month or more of medication use to put themselves at risk for a medication overuse headache. What should patients expect from their acute medication for their attacks? If a patient is not uh, functional within two hours and down to no headache or mild headache, that medication probably is less effective than you would like and it's perhaps time, time to try something else. Side effects are of course also an issue and if the patient is uh, headache-free but uh, is uh, sedated or nauseated or otherwise feeling unwell, it's also time to consider something else. One point is that you uh, really can't predict who will respond to which medication. So patients do require follow-up and the acute medication, although it may have been a good medication, uh, isn't great for that particular patient and should be changed to something else uh, if the patient tells you that they're not doing well on it. Thank you for that summary, uh, Dr. Becker. What drugs specifically have the best evidence for treating acute migraine? Fortunately, there are many drugs that have undergone randomized uh, controlled trials and migraine therapy. So we know quite a bit about uh, the various drug classes that uh, we tend to use in migraine acute treatment. The prime drugs for treating uh, migraine attacks really are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, and the tryptans. With uh, the tryptans being considered uh, more effective drugs for severe attacks by most uh, headache specialists. The non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which have uh, good evidence for efficacy in migraine, include ibuprofen, a diclofenac, a naproxen, and acetyl salicylic acid. Acetaminophen is a little bit different in that uh, there certainly are trials that show it's helpful in migraine, but it's usually considered uh, helpful really for patients with mild or moderate attacks, whereas the NSAIDs uh, may be helpful even in severe attacks. Having said that, though, for severe attacks, the tryptans usually are uh, more effective. Uh, the, the, we have seven tryptans available in, in Canada uh, for treating migraine, and they're all chemically related, but it is remarkable how uh, one patient may respond to one tryptan well and not to another, or how one patient may have a side effects on one tryptan and not on another. So you really need to try uh, a different tryptan if the patient is taking a tryptan already and not having an excellent response. They may do much, much better with another one. It's also important to not persist too long with uh, an ineffective medication. We discussed this in terms of a, a step care approach to attacks and a stratified approach to attacks. If the patient has severe attacks, I put them in bed, for example, you might as well begin, begin with the tryptan and not uh, put them through uh, several trials of NSAIDs or acetaminophen uh, before doing that because if patients are given ineffective therapy for too long without careful follow-up, they may, they may well abandon uh, health care, think the doctor can't help them, and depend on over-the-counter analgesics for the rest of their lives, uh, often not doing very well with that kind of treatment. It's also important to uh, tailor the patient's uh, uh, medication to their, uh, their, headache, their, their migraine attacks, in the sense that if patients have a lot of vomiting early in the attack, then the odds are an oral medication will not be effective and you'll need to provide something else that can be absorbed even though they're vomiting. Uh, 
the, the best uh, tryptan for migraine attacks overall in terms of uh, efficacy rates is subcutaneous sumatriptan 6 milligrams, which uh, is given by self-injection and therefore will uh, enter the body whether the patient is vomiting or not. If, if patients have uh, lesser degrees of nausea but still substantial nausea, the nasal sprays may be effective in that they're absorbed partly through the nose, especially zomotriptan, a 5 milligram dose, which is absorbed well through the nasal mucosa, although some is still uh, absorbed after swallowing. Uh, finally, there are wafers available that dissolve in the, in the tongue or on the tongue. Uh, these wafers uh, can be helpful if uh, taking fluids makes patients uh, nauseated. Uh, they're still absorbed primarily through uh, swallowed saliva and are not absorbed uh, transmucosally in the mouth. So they really are equivalent to the tablets except for the uh, lack of the need to take water with them. For most patients uh, with lesser degrees of nausea, the oral tablets are perfectly satisfactory uh, in terms of the triptans. If patients do have uh, nausea with their attacks, the triptans will often relieve that nausea by themselves, but if not, or if the nausea is substantial, adding a, an anti-nauseant is certainly helpful for many patients, and imidacloprimide 10 milligrams uh, given orally has the best uh, evidence for efficacy in that situation. Uh, domperidone is also uh, useful, although less evidence, uh, and may have fewer side effects for some patients. Uh, there's uh, really uh, no evidence for the usefulness of gravel in this situation, although many patients take it. Uh, we consider metoclopramide to be uh, generally much more effective than gravel for most patients with migraine. Finally, what if a patient uh, does not do well even with the, the triptans that you've tried? Uh, in that case, it's, useful, uh, it's a useful strategy to combine a triptan and an NSAID. Uh, these have different modes of action, and the, uh, it's been shown in well-controlled trials that, for example, using naproxen and sumatriptan together orally is more effective than either drug used alone. Uh, that, then, is a useful strategy for patients with uh, somewhat refractory migraine attacks. And if the patient has significant nausea, you may even want to combine uh, metoclopramide 10 milligrams with uh, those two drugs to give them a, a triple combination to treat difficult attacks. It's important to note that uh, so far we have not mentioned uh, codeine-containing combination analgesics, and uh, the recommendation is that uh, combination analgesics with codeine should not be used routinely in migraine. Uh, first of all, they aren't that effective. Uh, secondly, uh, codeine uh, combination analgesics are a rather frequent cause of medication overuse headache. Patients tend to take uh, them too often. And uh, thirdly, there is some concern that uh, opiates uh, may make, over time, migraine more resistant to treatment in general uh, through some of their effects on the, the pain system. Ergotamine also is no longer recommended for routine therapy. That doesn't say it can't be used in specific patients. Uh, and certainly, uh, butelbutel-containing medications are not recommended at all as they're a common source of uh, medication overuse and uh, medication overuse headache. Uh, finally, uh, dihydroergotamine, although it's not available in an oral form because it's not absorbed uh, through the gut, uh, is a useful uh, thing to use. And, and, and it can be effective sometimes when triptans are not. It has to be given by nasal spray, or perhaps better in terms of absorption, uh, by uh, subcutaneous or intramuscular injection and patients can be taught to self-inject this medication if necessary. Thank you, Dr. Becker. Now let's go back to our, our case. This is a 31-year-old woman who has now told you 
that she's planning a pregnancy in the near future. How would this uh, affect the management of this patient? Uh, Tyson, you're asking hard questions. Uh, pregnancy does complicate acute migraine therapy. Uh, once she becomes pregnant, uh, the safest drug overall is considered to be acetaminophen, which unfortunately isn't always that effective. Acetaminophen with codeine is, uh, is also considered safe. So one can use uh, that combination in pregnancy, and that's what often is done in patients with more severe attacks. It's important to avoid medication overuse in that situation, so if the patient has fairly frequent attacks, you really need to uh, pay attention to uh, non-pharmacological approaches uh, to migraine, uh, emphasizing lifestyle issues and stress management and so forth, and try to uh, prevent the patient from getting into uh, frequent attacks and uh, possible medication overuse. The non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are generally avoided in the first trimester by many people because uh, there seem to be some risk of increased spontaneous abortion with those medications. Um, this is still controversial and not everybody is convinced with that. These studies are somewhat uh, conflicting. They're certainly avoided in the last trimester because of uh, concerns about the ductus arteriosus and premature closure. Um, Finally, if you're going to use the non-steroidals during pregnancy, uh, ibuprofen is preferable to aspirin, for example, because it has a less uh, profound and prolonged effect on platelet function. The tryptans present an interesting issue with regard to pregnancy. The ergotamines, of course, were contraindicated in pregnancy because of uterotonic effects. Although the tryptans are specific anti-migraine drugs like the ergotamines, uh, they are not uh, guilty of the same type of uterotonic effects, and the question is, are the tryptans safe during pregnancy? As relatively new drugs, uh, the evidence really isn't in, but to date there seems to be no evidence that the tryptans are in fact teratogenic, and large observational studies have indicated that, uh, that sumatryptan, with experiences by far the largest, does not cause birth defects. It does seem to be associated with uh, a mild increase in, post, in, in blood loss during labor and also uh, in some degree of uterine atrony uh, if, taken, uh, close, uh, if, if taken in the third trimester. So there are some questions as to whether sumatriptan might have some uh, fairly minor effects upon uh, pregnancy and labor and delivery, but um, overall it does seem to be uh, safe during pregnancy. and therefore might be considered if uh, the patient is having severe migraine attacks that uh, are responsive to uh, tryptan and which are causing, for example, dehydration or very significant disability. However, that's a matter which, uh, where, where clinical judgment comes in. Uh, if you're going to use a tryptan during pregnancy, once again, the experience is by far the largest with uh, sumatriptan. A corollary of that is that if, if the patient has taken sumatriptan inadvertently before they knew they were pregnant, that need not be a cause for great concern because all the evidence is that in fact sumatriptan is safe during pregnancy. But of course, uh, to this point, no drug is proven safe during pregnancy. It's maybe more than you wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you can always cut some of that stuff. <laughs> All right, thank you very much for participating today, Dr. Becker. Uh, this concludes uh, our podcast on uh, the diagnosis of migraine and uh, principles of acute migraine uh, treatment. Next time, we're going to talk about uh, 
migraine prophylaxis, and uh, Dr. Becker has kindly agreed to participate in that podcast as well. I look forward to our next session. <laughs> <laughs>